You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. Preaching in this unusual time has brought with it some struggles, uh, trying to do things in a way I'm not used to doing them, and I know everyone's experiencing that and trying to decide what we need to hear. And for the most part, I've tried not to get sucked into the whole coronavirus, the whole idea of, oh no, everything's coming, crashing down. I have rather tried to present lessons over the previous weeks that kind of didn't focus too much on our situation because we kind of focus on our situation all day long, every day, and news articles and Facebook posts and things remind us of the situation we're in. I didn't figure that, well, I need to remind us even more. And so I've tried to somewhat keep arm's length away from our current situation and just try to stick to the eternal truths of Scripture. And I'm going to try to do that this morning as well. But to start off, I have to say sometimes... It's kind of hard because it does kind of look like the world is crashing around us. I mean, not only are we in the midst of this coronavirus and its implications, its worldwide implications, add to that some of the other things in our news. I've been watching over the past couple of weeks and reading some articles about the locust infestation of East Africa and how the locust swarms are bigger and more dangerous and more destructive than they've been for decades and decades, for up to 70 years. Kind of look at that and wonder, biblical plagues? I mean, it almost seems like it. As crazy as that is, it kind of looks like And then I read another article that Krakatoa, uh, that famous volcano that erupted in the late 1800s and caused mass death by the tsunamis that it created in 1883, and that famous volcano is rumbling again and spewing ash out and I think what in the world and then you go even farther and one of the craziest things that I've seen is and if you wonder well hand to God not hand to God well I saw that Stephen King of all people shared the fact that in Maine not far from his house a toilet paper plant exploded. And I think, well, what are the odds of that? That in the midst of our toilet paper shortage, a toilet paper plant exploded. And it makes me think, what is going on? And then beyond that, even just in the past couple of days, crazy things that have happened. I mean, the price of gas, uh, sorry, the price of crude oil has fallen below zero dollars a barrel as I don't know how that's possible. And then, to kick it all off, or football, I guess, Tom Brady and Gronkowski are now Buccaneers. And what is the, what is happening? I mean, if this isn't the end times, (laughs) it kind of feels like it. And I asked myself, and maybe you've asked yourself too, is what is going on? And my answer, for what it's worth, is chaos. Chaos is going on. Chaos, the thing that has been plaguing us and disrupting us for centuries, for millennia, for ages and ages, is still alive and well. 
chaos. Sometimes make sure reminds us that we are not in control. Chaos shows us that even with all the things we put in place to mitigate natural disasters, the things we put in place to handle viruses and sicknesses, and the, the amazing steps we've taken and how far we've come in modern times, we are not masters of chaos. Chaos still shows us that we are susceptible, that we are vulnerable. And where does that leave us in a time like this? Well, I think we have to remember that we serve the God who is over chaos. That the God we believe in, the God we trust, is more powerful than chaos itself. Chaos, by its very definition, is the absence of order. Chaos is the disruption of what is normal. And we serve a God who we believe has authority. Chaos doesn't want to abide by authority. It's chaos. It wants to do its own thing. In chaos, every particle, every atom is flying around at random or at least serving its own interests rather than abiding by the rules and the order set in place by, the, by that which would have authority over it. And so chaos rebels against order. But we serve a God who is over chaos. And that's what I want to share with you this morning, is that biblical perspective of how God reigns and His power, His dominion, His authority even puts chaos in its place. And to see that in Scripture, I think we have to make a connection that the ancients made, that those back in biblical times made very naturally, in that chaos is a counterpart or is exhibited often by water. Um, that might sound kind of strange to us, but when you think of just how a destructive force water can be, especially in ancient times where they didn't have things in place for uh, floods and things to be lessened, like our reservoirs that we build and, and the drainage, drainage systems that our cities have. You know, in ancient times, they had none of that, and water was scary. Water could dry, the, water, the waters and rivers could rise and swell faster than they could get away, and the waters on this edge of seas were often walls of water created by storms or tsunamis and things like that. Things we still have, but we can kind of see coming a little bit now with our technology, and they couldn't back then. So water sometimes scared them to death. And just look at the stories of ships out on the water in Bible times, and the storms that they faced, and the fear that it instilled in men because they were scared of what water could do. They knew what water could do. And water was a representative of just how chaotic life can be. And in Scripture, we see that in Genesis chapter 1, the very first couple of verses in Scripture, we see that while God is the God over heaven and earth, over everything, God created the heavens and the earth. The very first sentence of the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The second sentence... Let's look at that real fast. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now the earth was without shape and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep. But the Spirit of God 
was moving over the surface of the water. And so water comes up twice here in this verse. And darkness as well. And you think about darkness, the absence of light. Light is for order and organizing things and putting things where they belong. It is a part of what God does on the very first day as God speaks light and drives back the darkness. God brings order and the ability to function where there was none by shining his light. And also you have him moving over the waters. And what's day two? But creating an expanse between the waters. And however we might think about the waters above and the waters below and that biblical imagery here in Genesis chapter 1, we see that what God is doing is creating a safe space. Waters are not safe. Waters are chaotic. And darkness is not safe. Darkness only leads to death. And darkness and death are, are tied together, obviously. And so God separates. He pushes back the darkness. He pushes back the waters. And when on the third day, when he creates the dry land, he pushes the water apart even further. And so we see how God drives, pushes against chaos and wins. God pushes the chaos back and makes an orderly, safe, life-giving life-sustaining space for us to abide in. That's the imagery, imagery of a creation in Genesis chapter 1. The first three days, he drives back the chaos, so to speak, and creates a space for life. And then the last three days, days 4, 5, and 6, he fills up those spaces. He fills up the spaces with the sun, moon, and stars, and the birds, and the fish, and the animals, and the vegetation on dry land, because he's created that safe space for us to exist, because he is the God over chaos. And don't look at just Genesis chapter 1. Let's look at some of the Psalms of creation. Psalm 104, verses 7 through 9, shows a very active power of God pushing back the waters. Verse 7, your shout made the waters retreat. At the sound of your thunderous voice they hurried off. As the mountains rose up and the valleys went down to the place you appointed for them, you set up a boundary for them. And that then there in verse 9 is talking about the waters. You set up a boundary for them that they could not cross so that they would not cover the earth again. God pushed back the waters and set up boundaries because he is the God over the waters. And in the ancient mind, that very much conveyed that he's the God over chaos. And that's so much different from the gods of other religions. The gods of other religions battled against the chaos. And some days the chaos would win and sometimes the God would win. And like the Greek gods and the Titans... And just the fates that even the gods were somehow bound to as well. And how chaos could throw things in even on the divine level. The level of the, many, the plethora of their pantheon of gods. That chaos could wreak havoc even among them. And so it kind of created a sense in the ancient world of, well, the gods are subject to it too. So we're just going to grin and bear it or we're going to get by. But not the God of the Jews. Not, not the God of Scripture. Not the God, of course, that Jesus embodies. 
and that we believe in and put our hope and our faith and confidence in because we know it's not just some being tossing and turning and trying to get by too. Our God is over chaos. Now let's look at something else in Scripture that embodies or shows or displays chaos, and that's Job chapter 41. One of my favorite passages in Scripture is Job chapter 38 through 41. In this section of Scripture, God is putting Job in his place. Job needs to be reminded that he's not God. He's got a problem with how God has done things. He doesn't like the way that his life has turned out with all the, you know, the famous sufferings of Job. And so he complains to God. And so he kind of lays his case before God and says, God, I think you wronged me. And then God shows up in chapters 38 to 41 and says, I'm sorry, who are you? And do you remember who I am? And chapters 38 through 40 are this great poem that God speaks reminding Job who he is. And in it, in chapter 41 especially, we see chaos. Read with me Job chapter 41, verses 1 through 6. Can you pull in the Leviathan with a hook? Now that Leviathan is an ancient sea creature of... And it's interesting that it's in Job chapter 41 because it makes this question, well, did it really exist? Because he goes on to talk about it breathing fire. This thing sounds a lot like a dragon, but rather than a dragon in the air, it's a dragon that lives in the ocean. Again, the place of chaos, and this is the creature of chaos. And did it really exist? Um, I kind of think maybe it did. Um, kind of cool to think about. It's possible, though, that God's simply using an imagery of a creature that Job knew and that the ancient world knew and feared and kind of was the epitome of the greatest, most fantastic, horrible beast you could imagine. And what God asked Job here in chapter 41 is, even the thing you fear, even the stuff of nightmares, do you know what I am? God says, I'm the God over that too. Even the creature that embodies chaos itself, the famous Leviathan, God says, you can't subdue it. That's why he tells Job, can you pull in the Leviathan with a hook, go fishing for it, and tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it make numerous supplications to you? Will it speak to you with tender words? Will it make a pact with you? Will it make a truce, verse 4? so that you can take it as your slave for life. Are you going to make a pet out of it? Can you play with it like a bird? This is really funny. Or tie it on a leash for your girls. I read that to some kids at camp last summer, and immediately they said, it doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't talk about Well, <laughs> yes, it does. God is kind of making fun of, Job, what are you going to do with a Leviathan? You gonna show it off to make a good impression on the girls? Of course not. The creature that every person, every every seaman, every person on the ships is terrified of the thought. Kind of like, oh, we might even say, Pirates of the Caribbean, release the kraken. Uh, that this creature that strikes fear into the hearts of the bravest of men. And God's saying, Job, can you control it? And of course, the answer is no. Can you tame it like a pet? No. What he goes on to say throughout the rest of the chapter is, 
I can. The Leviathan answers to me. The greatest creature you could imagine does my bidding. So Job, remember, I am the God over chaos. So God pushes back the chaos, and God also subdues the chaos. He asks Job about the Leviathan. Can he put it on a leash? But God's inherent response to that is, I can put it on a leash, Job. You can't. We are not the masters of chaos, and if anything, this coronavirus and all these crazy things in the news remind us that we are at the mercy, often, of chaos, but our God, the God we worship, the God we trust in, the God we put our faith in, is not. He pushes back the chaos. He subdues the chaos. And here's the really crazy thing. The thing that tops even that. Our God sometimes even uses chaos for His purposes. Chaos, by definition, refuses to be used for anybody's purposes. But we serve a God who is that powerful, who is that strong, that can even take chaos. Like the chaos we're in now. Or the chaos that the ancient world lived by day in, day out. And their fear of things like water. And their fear of things like darkness. And things that we still kind of fear too. Or weather. And just the craziness of the rise and fall of nations and empires and kingdoms. And we, remind, we are reminded frequently that we are at the mercy of whatever hand chaos would deal to us. Except, except we believe in a God who is over chaos and can even use chaos. A beautiful verse, and one that I maybe hear sometimes taken out of context, is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together. All things. When you say all things, well, that's all things. That's even chaos. That's even the things that we can't control or have, that, that we feel susceptible and vulnerable and helpless with. Romans 8, 28 reminds us that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. Now, an important thing about this verse and how we should not take it out of context is it, it doesn't say that God causes every little thing to happen. I don't think that's what Paul is saying, and I don't think that's what Scripture shows us. I think chaos is alive and well, not just chaos, but of course, the devil himself. Uh, that the one that purposefully rebels against God, and that is kind of tied in some ways even to chaos. That God, that, that the devil is at work and wreaks havoc in our lives and tempts us. You know, the Bible says God tempts no man. We are sometimes in trials and tests. But he does not tempt us. God does not try to make us fail, Scripture tells us. But the devil does. And sometimes we may feel caught in between and helpless. But what Romans 8.28 does say is, God can even take what chaos would do, or what even the devil himself would do. And the repercussions and consequences of things like sin, even death. God can take it. And make it serve his purpose. God can take it and make it work for good for his people. 
And that's even, to me, more amazing than the fact that God can push back the, the chaos, or God that can subdue the chaos. God can actually take it and transform it. And a great example of that is the end of the book of Genesis. Genesis is actually kind of bookended by chaos. In the beginning, you have the darkness and the surface of the deep. And God pulling back, separating the waters from the waters and creating that safe space. Pushing back that chaos. At the end of the book, you have this crazy story of chaos wreaking havoc in the life of a man named Joseph. A man that God is going to use. And his brothers sell him into slavery. And he is blessed by God, but he ends up thrown in prison from false accusations. And even in prison, he's blessed by God, but he's stuck in prison. And eventually he stands before Pharaoh and interprets a dream because God is with him and rises to become second in power in all of Egypt. And his own brothers come and bow down before him, just like the dream that he had had from long ago that made him angry in the first place. And we see just chaos unfolding in Joseph's life. And yet Joseph makes the amazing statement at the very end of, you talking to his brothers and the harm they meant to inflict on him, he said, you meant it for harm. God meant it for good. And guess which one won? Chaos means to destroy and to break down and to harm. And sometimes we participate in that. And our sin breaks down and destroys and harms, not just our own lives, but the lives of other people around us. And sometimes we're susceptible to the sin and the chaos of other people upon our lives. And we say not fair, and it's not fair, and it makes us angry or upset. But if we're honest, we realize we've done our own fair share too. But here's the thing. God can take that. Whether it's our own problems we've created for ourselves, or the problems other people have maybe created, and just the fact that we live in this chaotic world because it's broken, it's fallen, uh, we brought sin and death into it when God made the space for life and goodness and blessing. We allowed chaos to come back in. But even that, God can take and use it for His own purposes. Even death itself, God can take and use for His own purposes as He did when Jesus died upon the cross. And death is one of the most chaotic things. It's the end of life. It's where life ceases. And for us, it would be a fear of, oh no, it shows that chaos wins in the end, but not with our God, with the one true God, the God that we believe in in Scripture, the God that we saw present himself in the man, Jesus Christ. He conquered death, as we've been talking about in the Easter messages in the previous weeks. That God can take the chaotic, and actually bring something good. And that's good news. And it's even displayed in baptism. The thing that brings us life. I don't know that it's a coincidence that it's water. The, the thing that the ancients feared. And they used it. I mean, they carried their buckets of water. And they obviously, water is needed for life. And they used it. But they also feared it. They had a, maybe a love-hate relationship with it, but 
in baptism, we go down into the water. And it's almost like death. It's meant to represent death. We go down into the water where chaos and the lack of life. And but by dying to ourselves, we rise again. And we serve now the God who conquered chaos, the God who drives it back, the God who subdues it, and the God who even changes it. And so now our lives can be part of that all things working for good. Where our lives, even as chaotic as they might be, and the thing is, we still live in a chaotic world that's proven now more than ever, or I don't know what tomorrow might bring. Um, I'm actually recording this on Tuesday so that we can put it together and have it all ready to go and I can send out the notes that need to go with it for uh, in the bulletin and, and to have it all ready and so I'm on, I'm on kind of a strange schedule for a preacher where I'm preaching late Tuesday night for what's going to air on Sunday so but I don't know what Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is going to bring. I mean the way we're, way we're going I don't know maybe a meteor will be headed for earth or a, who knows what the news will hold in between now and then, but one thing I do know, and I can say with confidence, is we serve the God who's over it. The God who's over that chaos. We can push it back, drive it back, get rid of it, as He will that final day when heaven and earth are made one, when everything is made new, when all the bad is destroyed and pushed back and driven out. And all that's left is eternal life with him forever around his throne. And that is the God that we serve. And so we don't have to be afraid of the chaos. We've died to that chaos and come out on the other side, knowing that that's where our eternity will be as well. We'll come out on the other side and chaos will be done. God in his kingdom, we will be eternally secured in his blessings.